That's it. You only read a billion books. I know, right? Isn't that crazy? And there are books that I picked up that I have not read yet. So Juanita was asking me because I said I, I got three books this week. He's like, "Do the other guys got more than you?" I'm like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> She's like, twenty dollars." I'm like, "No." <laughs> no, I wish. She's like forty dollars. It's like, yeah, kind of there. Kind of more. Well, you know, with with without having Andrew and Wayne here to hold us back, you know, <laughs> probably be much more efficient today. Yeah, because those right. guys are just dead weight. I don't disagree. I just I'm not going to say it. I'll let you say it. <laughs> This is Wayne. And this is Tim. Well, so, Paul apparently has something before anything that's on this list. So yes. that's a we're just, Paul said, hey, before you start getting into today's agenda, I got shit to say. It's pretty asinine that he didn't put it at the front of the list that he made. Exactly. What's up with that, Paul? Well, so, it didn't so, occur to me until after I did the list. It's kind of like I didn't have to go when we left, but now I have to go. Well, I need to amend our new business and talk about how you're kind of lame on the list creation. I, I'll second that motion. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I've seen lists that go on when I'm not on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm saying I've seen lists <laughs> from when I'm not on the podcast. Uh-huh. You don't They're do not, lists when you're not on here. There's no bullets. <laughs> is it the bullets that make the list, Paul? It is. Hey, it hold on, let me get into my wingdings font. <laughs> <laughs> no it looks like someone just texted it. It doesn't even look like a list. <laughs> oh, Paul. Uh, so I have a bone to pick with you since we're on the, the topic. You, Mr. Hey, Head. Personally. Yes, personally. That, I'm sorry, that's not on the agenda, Paul. <laughs> that's, but I'm putting it on the agenda. I can redo no, this agenda at any time. We have an approved agenda, and that item is not uh, on the table. So uh, you'll It'll have to be new business that. for next agenda. Yeah, you'll, you'll have to, uh, you know, submit that for the next meeting. Well, I'll have forgiven him by next week. Well, probably not forgiven, but forgotten. Forgiven <laughs> him. <laughs> like you had that in your in your in your makeup, Paul. No, forgotten, not forgiven. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I have issues with you. With me? With you, specifically. Come on, bring it, Chief. So you have this other podcast. I do. This Three Beers, One Scotch podcast. Yes. And you told a whole bunch of funny stories on that shit. (laughs) 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 I'm not sure I understand what you're saying, Paul. (laughs) Uh, You're supposed to save the podcast gold for the golden podcast. We're first in your heart, Aaron. Are you saying I'm funny over there, but not so much over here? I'm saying, yeah, yeah, really, <laughs> you, you saved your A game for that podcast, is what I'm saying. Well, you know, I'm typically drunk on that podcast, so uh, <laughs> that, that does help things. We do this one at 8 o'clock, so generally I'm hungover for this podcast. <laughs> True. Aaron pregames for three beers and a scotch. Are you saying to get the really funny stories, we need to get you drunk first? Exactly. Or podcast at 9 o'clock at night? Yeah. 
So what, what's the point in having a list if we're going to deviate from the list? It's chaos around here. It's cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. I can't handle it anymore. So since we're already deviating from the list. What? Anyone, Damn it! Anyone care to guess who the most popular guests seemed to be at uh, Wizard World St. Louis yesterday? Was it Wayne? <laughs> was Wayne a popular guest? Henry Winkler. No. The Fonz was... The Fonz had a huge line. I mean, some of the other people had big lines, too, like Billy D. Williams and uh, Jason David Franks, the Green Power Ranger. But by far, the longest line for anybody was to meet the Fonz. This is why St. Louis doesn't get nice things, Wayne. <laughs> you, you mistreat them. Find <laughs> up to see the Green Power Ranger. That's... Oop, did I break the podcast? You with your life, St. Louis. So, uh, did you go to any panels? No, I kept meaning to go to panels, but then I would find something shiny on the floor that I wanted to go look at instead. So you spent most of your time in the dealer room? Yeah, I've got my panels all laid out for the rest of the convention, but for uh, for day one, I just was in the dealer room and walking around the uh, the signing area and taking pictures of celebrities when the, uh, when the staff wasn't looking. Hmm. Yeah, when they weren't billing you to take your picture with a celebrity or take a picture of the celebrity? Exactly. Just snap a shot when they're not looking and then move quickly to the next one. So I got pictures of like Lou Ferrigno and uh, uh, Jason David Franks. But not Henry Winkler? James Marsters. I did not get a picture of Henry Winkler. There were Why the people. hell would he even be at a comic convention? I was wondering that too. It makes no sense. But the line was huge. Everyone what? wanted to meet the Fonz. Like it doesn't even appeal. Like I understand wrestling guys. I mean I don't, but I do. But Henry Winkler? <laughs> You know, I don't get it either, but apparently he was a good choice. Wizard World always has a lot of guests that you have to pay to get your picture taken with or to take a picture of. And uh, so what I do is kind of like what Wayne was describing is, you know, just kind of sneak up and, you know, capture your picture and go, you know, because, you know, paying for pictures is crazy. Um, so do you remember in the Smallville TV show, the uh, Supergirl actress, Laura Vandervoort? Oh, yeah. Is that her name? So, you know, I got this great picture of her uh, when I was at Wizard World one year, and it wound up being uh, this guy approached me and said, hey, can I use your picture for uh, her Wikipedia page? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know, because he got it off my Flickr account. And so for the longest time, the picture that I illicitly took of Laura Vandervoort was the Wikipedia article link. Was it from across the street from her hotel room? It was <laughs> in her hotel room. <laughs> Up from under the bed. Awesome. In the closet. So this, the staff caught a couple guys trying to take pictures of the uh, the celebrities. And they're like, you can take pictures of each other back here, but you can't take pictures of the celebrities. And he's like, okay, stand right there with, uh, with the fonds in the background, and I'll take your picture. Yep, just shoot so, it over the shoulder. Hey. hey. I don't get it. Yeah. You know what else I don't get? What's that, Paul? I don't get some of the management decisions at DC Comics. Not to start us off at the wrong foot, with the wrong foot, on the wrong foot. You want to try that metaphor again? Not to start us off on the wrong foot. (laughs) (laughs) But it has been a clusterfuck of a news week, has it not? It really has. I mean, you know, the the, uh, professionals who are walking off books – I mean that's that's pretty crazy with as much as much as we're hearing over at DC. Yeah. So let's go over quick quickly the fact that um, Robert Venditti, I believe, um, walked off of not walk has left Green Lantern. Um, I think it was Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns, and Andy Diggle has left 
um, Action Comics before the first issues of their runs have even started. Supposedly, both have left because of um, editorial intervention, which supposedly was promised that it wouldn't happen um, at the Charlotte uh, Writers Retreat or whatever that happened like a month or two ago. Right. And I'm excuse, and forget, forgive me. It was Joshua Hale Fialkov. Yeah. Um, it's the guy who left uh, Green Lantern Corps and Red Lanterns. How do you walk off a job that you work from home for? <laughs> do you do you drive to the office with the intent of just storming off? Well, and you know that one I'm not so stinging on because I mean I don't I'm not a hundred percent familiar with Vialkov's work, and um, honestly he was taking over two titles that I don't care much about anyway. But Andy Diggle walking leaving Action Comics, like damn, I was really looking forward to his run. And and you know then DC puts out the news. Don't worry, it's okay. Tony Daniel is going to write the rest of the run. And I'm like, oh fuck me, seriously. <laughs> yeah, and you know, Paul actually sent me a note that day, going, man, I, I hope Tony Daniel didn't just take over the whole book. Fuck. And they announced it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like somebody was monitoring our email. Hey, that's a marvelous idea. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not happy about any of this. And they haven't announced who's taking over Action Comics, um, but I they did announce who was taking over Green Lantern Corps. Um, and uh, one of the writers, I think the writer who's taking over Green Lantern Corps, um, is the guy who wrote Pinocchio Vampire Slayer. I'm trying to remember his name. He was on the podcast. Help me out, Aaron. Oh, um, just stall. Stall a minute. Just edit this piece out while I look him up. Yeah, that's totally going to happen. This part won't appear in the episode at all, Paul. Paul, you know the fastest way to not get something edited out is to mention editing. Because then it always makes it on the podcast. Uh, Van Jensen. Van Jensen is the new writer. I never would have gotten that. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Never would have gotten that. Yeah, Van Jensen um, is taking over Green Lantern Corps, I believe, with Robert Venditti taking over Red Lanterns. Yeah, you know, uh, it seems like we're falling back on uh, some C-string talent on some of these books. It's yeah, it seems like there's a lot of desperation going yeah, on. I, I, and I don't say that to 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 you know uh, indict Pinocchio, superhero killers, uh, uh, vampire slayer, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm not indicting his his writing ta- uh, talents because I don't think I've ever read anything by him. But because you did that interview, I he was on the podcast. No, no, I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, I think that was a solo interview, Paul. I don't think I read that one. I, I believe it was. Yeah, but because uh, I think that would have stuck with me. <laughs> 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 but the the point I'm making is that you know there these are uh, top tier books at at DC, and you know they've got folks writing them that you know most people haven't heard of. For instance, uh, this week's Supergirl. Um, the writer didn't make the cover page, which I thought was very interesting. You know how they'll list the you, generally they'll list the writer and the penciler, you know, on the cover page, and uh, they did not do that uh, for for this writer. Yeah, I mean, I think they and that pisses me off. And I think we're going to talk about the book later, but that was just outright lying uh-huh. to fans. Yep. Um, but you know what the sad thing is, the guy, uh, his name is Frank Hanna. Uh huh. He's a he's a screenwriter. He wrote that film, The Cooler. 
Um, you know, I mean, he, he's actually done some. He's written Hollywood movies, and they didn't advertise that. Well, you know, they they listed Mike Johnson and uh, Mahmoud Azrar as the talent on this book, and I don't believe that Mike Johnson actually contributed to this book. Nor did Mahmoud Azrar. Well, no, he was on the cover. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was on the cover, but he had nothing to do with the with the production of the interiors, and I don't know. You know, I don't know why Mike Johnson appears on the cover because you know he's nowhere in the in, in the uh, credits uh, for this book. Wow, yeah. yeah, I was just looking at that, and he's not. Yeah, and so you know, the writer who is you know Frank Hanna doesn't get credited at all on the cover, but uh, you know, one guy who apparently had nothing to do with the book did. So I found that interesting. It and, just seems like right now, if you're not G.F. Jones or. Uh, say Grant Morrison or someone like that, that DC is basically telling you what you have to do. And it's not being fair to its creators at the moment. And they're leaving because of it. Some big names. There are two, maybe three creators at DC who are able to kind of, you know, work off the ranch without much oversight at all. But everybody else is very uh, strictly controlled under editorial Uh, versus Marvel, where they've got so many hyper talented uh, people that they they you know I, I know that they they des- decide the you know creative direction for the period at their Marvel retreats, but the guys who are engaged there tend to have a lot of control over what they're going to do. Yeah. And, and I understand because DC has a lot of talent. That I yeah. just don't think they're letting their talent actually be creative. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the, you know it's a catch twenty two, right? I mean, with DC, you either go with the editorial decisions that keep the continuity and flow of the universe intact, or you have Marvel, who lets their creators have a little bit more freedom, but they have the fans saying, "Okay, how does Wolverine be in six places at the same time? How is Captain America away for ten years?" It's his power. That's how he's <laughs> able to do it. Yeah, I mean, but stuff like that. You know, I mean, you either have fans complaining about continuity, or you have. You know, or you have the editorial mandate, and it, it, it's a catch twenty-two. I get that, but the the musical chairs that's going on right now at DC is just a mess. Um, it really painted them in a negative light this week. Yep. No, it, you're absolutely right, and it well, and it demonstrates a a, uh, a void in leadership. I think you know, I think that if you had competent management over at DC, you wouldn't have so much of this. Um, I think that if you had people who, you know, lived by what they said, you know, I, I more and more I'm just, you know, uh, overwhelmed at the unprofessionalism in uh, professional comics. Yeah, and I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know, you know, because everyone's blaming Dan DiDio, but you know, pe- lots of people forget that Dan DiDio has been around for a long ass time, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, there have been plenty of runs, successful runs with top tier talent. Stuff like Batman Hush and and all of those that didn't that were able to proceed without editorial mandate. So I'm wondering oh, what New, changed there. New Fifty Two is a, is an it came down as an editorial mandate. True. So true. It is it is much more you know manufactured in terms of of the universe. You know, whereas you know in previous days you know Flash could be overdoing whatever the hell Flash wanted to do and didn't necessarily have to impact what was going on in other books. But you know the new fifty two is such a a defined and outlined uh, continuum that you know it has to be editorially driven because that's the, the the machine they've built. And I think that I think that you know you may have some talent who's coming in that feeling like they're working in you know DC of the nineteen nineties, but that ain't the case. You know you're you're working in this new fifty two and it works differently. It is it is strongly editorially driven. 
and I just want you know to, to I just want you to know for fans who are like, well, Marvel does it better. Marvel just announced that there will be a Marvel Now Wave Two starting in July. So it, you know they're like resetting everything too. Um, What's that a reset? Well, I mean, number one issues of everything all over again. You mean like they're? Oh, you mean that the, that the the books you're reading now will flip over to number ones? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily that. I think anything that hasn't already been touched by Marvel Now will probably then get touched by Marvel Now in Wave it's Two. Number reset. That doesn't mean that they're resetting their continuity. True. Well, yeah, I don't know. Age of Ultron. It, it the Marvel Now Wave Two does seem to align with the end of Age of Ultron. Meh. um now before we talk about age of ultron because we'll get to that and yeah so you know the the andy dickel news really bummed me out this week i'm not not as much as the tony daniel news but um (laughs) you know and so jeff parker friend of the podcast jeff parker Mm -hmm. who has been on the podcast twice but only recorded once (laughs) (laughs) um he uh, he was hinting at a project online, and he was like, if the internet is to be believed, people really want this type of project, and I'm going to be working with an Eisner Award-winning artist. And my mind instantly goes to awesome because everyone is so excited about the Jeff Parker, Chris Somney thing on Adventures of Superman. They're doing an ongoing. Right. Or they're, they're going to take over Action Comics. I was psyched for this news. And then Friday morning, well, late Thursday night, early Friday morning, it was announced that um, the project in question is actually a digital first Batman 1966 comic book based on the Adam West series um, with art by Jonathan Case and I think covers by Mike Allred. I do not know who Jonathan Case is, Paul. He's an Eisner Award winner. That didn't help me. Uh, <laughs> My comic shop is an Eisner Award winner, so you know <laughs> I don't think Zeus Comics is drawing this. So he uh, he is the artist on Stumptown. Oh, okay, okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't mean to be rude, but I'm really not interested in a uh, Batman '66 comic book. I am genuinely surprised that because I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of the uh, the media event that they had announcing this. Oh, yeah. I am so excited about some of the announcements, just that they finally can start you know, releasing merchandise for it. Yeah, they're doing T-shirts, action figures, statues, Barbie dolls. I mean, they are going whole hog into this 40-year-old series, 50-year-old series almost. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so, Wayne, you're excited about it. Tell us why. I'm excited about merchandise. I don't know that I need a new series, you know, a comic series on it. I probably won't pick up the comic series. I'm just excited because there's so much nostalgia for me for that era of, you know, Batman TV shows. I like camp if it's intentionally campy, and that show was intentionally campy. It is just fun to sit down and watch. And growing up, it was, you know, watching reruns of that were a big part of my childhood. They got me interested in Batman. So I would love to have some Adam West stuff you know, sitting up on a shelf. You know, and I'm not going to lie. Of course, I, I have the same feelings about Batman 66, the nostalgia. It was the Batman that I watched growing up with the reruns and all that. But I don't know. Like, I'm okay with it being in my past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily – I mean, I know there. we're still – we're not getting – we're not going to lose our current Batman in exchange for this campy Batman. But I don't <laughs> – I hope it's as successful as they want it to be. I don't see how it possibly could be. 
Yeah, I want merchandise for what already existed. I don't need new content for what existed. I guess is a good way to put it. I just it, it baffles me that they they're going so whole hog into this, and I, I guess they're excited because they finally settled the rights and all that. But I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, and this will be a a huge success. And I I hope that because I like Jeff Parker. But maybe it'll be a book that Andrew can buy for his kid. You know, yeah. If, it's an all, if it comes out all ages, that would be nice. I mean, well, and knowing me, I'm going to pick up at least the first digital issue. But eh, I, I'm just I'm just kind of eh. Honest. Yeah, yeah, I'm not excited about it at all. You know, speaking and, of things we're not excited about. Yeah. So speaking, yeah. So going back to Age of Ultron, um, Marvel has said Age of Ultron has an unguessable ending. You will never guess it. And then um, three months before the final issue comes out, they told you what it was, what <laughs> what the unguessable thing was. Well, and it's, uh, you know, Ari Arad or whatever the hell that guy's name says, it's not because it's such a minor part of the ending. They haven't spoiled it for you. Yeah, they haven't spoiled the ending of the book, but they have told you what the unguessable portion of it is, which is that Angela. Oh, you, want me to, you want me to throw the spoiler on, Paul? Yeah, yeah go ahead. <laughs> spoiler. It's that um, Angela, who uh, had her first appearance in Spawn, uh, Image Comics Spawn, will be appearing at the end of Age of Ultron and then in Guardians of the Galaxy thereafter. And what I don't understand is that Angela is a Neil Gaiman-owned character. Yeah. And so why is she showing up in a Marvel comic? Well, and here's the thing. Like, Neil Gaiman has been dealing with Todd McFarlane in court for years to gain rights to Angela, right? To regain his rights to Angela. To, yeah, to yeah. regain his rights to Angela because he created the character. Todd McFarlane said, no, she's mine now. And Neil Gaiman says, no, 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 I created her. So Neil Gaiman fought to get the rights to Angela just to put her back in a corporate-owned book. Yeah, I don't get it. And I don't know why Marvel felt like they needed it. I don't know why this is – You know, I read that news story this week, and I'm like, I don't get why this is a, a thing. I don't know why Gaiman did it. Um, I don't get it. I don't. I don't I, this is completely beyond me. It's and a she even, I just oh, think Marvel has within their contract plenty of reprint clauses, but I have a feeling this is going to be the case of they're going to throw her into some of these books and then – the game is going to get money every time they reprint it, so they're never going to reprint any of these books. It, it's a it's a buzz thing, Aaron. I think that's why they're doing it. I can they're, think of a many other buzzworthy things to do than than introduce a Neil Gaiman character to your book. Well, not only a Neil Gaiman character. I mean, she hasn't been in a comic book in probably ten, fifteen years because of this lawsuit. Yeah. Um. And she. I mean, she was popular when she first came out. I mean, it, I I will be honest and say you know i collected the angela glory series and all that stuff but I, she's hardly an original character like original concept yeah um and it, it just seems kind of surprising to me that they're so excited about this because so what i mean for me it's like so what just because neil gaming just have neil gaming create a new character yeah yeah i don't see how that character in any way fits with the established marvel universe yeah I'm concerned because if you look back at Spawn, they had to go back and rechange some of the origins because of all of the lawsuits about who owns which characters right. and things like that. So I don't want to see that happen over in Marvel of having a character come in and then they have a fallout with Gaiman. And then when they go back to retell some of these stories, they have to change it. I mean, it just seems like more of a mess than it's worth. And you're right. The character is a very generic character. Not that I didn't enjoy the character back in Spawn. But there's nothing – it's just a warrior angel. How many of those are out there and exist right now? And why does Marvel need one? I don't understand this at all. And I just 
it, it just you know they can't reprint the spawn stuff i mean it, it, todd mcfarlane's not going to say okay marvel you can reprint all previous iterations of angela no so i mean she's going to have to pop it in the marvel universe and be completely redefined just create a new character is is because whereas you know neil gaiman may own the character of angela he doesn't own any of the works that she appeared in previously so i i it's kind of one of those you just got you he, he has basically he has the rights to create new works featuring angela and that just eh. seems odd to me yeah and so the um, so she'll be appearing in the final pages of the Brian Michael Bendis written Age of Ultron. Um, also out from Brian Michael Bendis this week, going into our new comics releases, is all new X Men number nine, um, featuring the return of Stuart Amonin on art. You know, I, I, reading this book, um, we got we got a little bit of uh, a look at um, kind of the fallout from Jean Grey monkeying around in Angel's head. We saw a little bit of that conversation. Um, but and we did we did see a lot uh, we did see what Mystique's uh, w- what her game is now because at one point in this series she seemed to be talking to um, young Scott Summers to try to convince him to um, you know stick around. Well, now we know why. It seems like Mystique's taking uh, Charles's death pretty hard. Well, as hard as she can take it for a character like that. Uh, but uh, the end of the book is what I wanted to talk about because the end of the book made me mad. The end of the book is the same scene from – what's that crappy X book that you guys are reading? Uncanny yeah. X-Men. <laughs> yeah, that one. It's the same scene. And so we're, we are going full circle that it seems like you need to read both of these stupid books. I don't know. See, back in uh, – I don't even know how long ago it was. Marvel did a – crossover that I actually like the way they did it and I'm kind of hoping they do this here where it was that Alpha Flight X-Men crossover and each each part of it was told from that book's you know viewpoint and you didn't need to read both of them did you get more from the story if you read both of them sure because you get both viewpoints I'm hoping this is like that I want to see you know I want to see an all new X-Men exactly their reaction to whatever happens next and Uncanny X-Men would be nice if they did their reaction, and I didn't need to read it, because I'm not reading Uncanny X-Men. Nor that's am what I'm I going hoping to. For. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. I don't want it to be a true crossover. I want it to be... If it tells the same story in both books, I would be fine with that, because I'm not buying both books. You know, well, I, really, I really like this book. It would be a shame if it's, if it's going to be that I have to get Uncanny. But if they're going to do that, the least they can do is let us know, like, part one, part two. That's the well, least you can do. And I think that's why they didn't. I think you can probably read both independently. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a crossover. Um, I mean, that being said, you really should be reading Uncanny X-Men. It's really just as good as all new X-Men. Um, but I, I do think this is going to be the all new X-Men side of the conversation, just like Uncanny X-Men is the Uncanny X-Men side of the conversation, or else they would have already announced it as a crossover. you know. Yeah, and that's my big hope for it. And I don't want to read Uncanny X-Men because all of these new costume designs are stupid. You know, I I kind of just just from the one page that uh, that Stuart Amonin drew, I sort of like the Magneto one. I know, right? Ooh, me too. But can I can I say that Lady Mastermind's costume seems seems grossly impractical? Impractical. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, how does she not have a wardrobe malfunction in that thing in combat? I don't, I don't get it. Well, she has mental powers. I'm sure she's bouncing out of it all the time, but she's just making everyone think she's not. I just think it's funny they let her keep that in the raft. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're not an orange jumpsuit. No, we'll just let you dress like that lady. Yeah. Now, well, I got to tell you, the, uh, the uh, Times Square scenes for the Danger Room were fantastic. Oh, I yeah. absolutely love those pages, you know, with Kitty coaching them through a Danger Room session. Well, and that opening two-page spread. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. I have, to, oh, I go have ahead. to comment on the art, though. I think this artist has maybe three female faces that they just keep reusing over and over again. Because, like, when I got to that last page, I didn't realize that was Emma Frost. I thought it was Lady Mastermind. I will say like, Lady Mastermind and Emma Frost look spectacularly similar. Yeah, and I've seen the same thing with, like, uh, Jean Grey and Kitty sometimes have the same face in the book. And it's just throughout the book, I kind of see that with female faces that they don't have a lot of differences to them. Well, and no offense to all comic artists everywhere, but isn't that kind of true of most comic artists, that all their females kind of are interchangeable with different hair? Well, you know, it's like the devil says in Last Temptation of Christ, women are all the same, just different masks. Damn right. (laughs) 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 Um, I I take it back. (laughs) I I love... You know, uh, Bobby, old, uh, young Bobby Drake's comment at the end of the Danger Room uh, mission. Why does your Danger Room hurt so much? You know, because, you know, the, the, he's making the, the comment about how their Danger Room from back in the past is, you know, big rings to jump through and red bouncy balls. <laughs> you know, I disliked young Bobby Drake through most of this book, but I love that conversation, too. It's fantastic. I'm really I, I think all new X-Men is a whole lot of fun. Um, I can't believe that you know we're so many issues in and I'm still enjoying it so much. Well, and I think the uh, and we've said this before. I think the biweekly or twice a month, whatever um, release schedule really helps with this title. Absolutely, absolutely. It really supports you know Bendis's decompressed storytelling. So while it's taking longer for the story to get where you typically would, since he's double shipping, you're getting more story. And I yeah. just I'm, I'm digging it. And you know to a certain extent. I think the bi-weekly schedule may be actually hurting another title that we're about to talk about, Superior Spider-Man number six. How can you say that, Paul? Because I feel like they blew their load a little too early. Oh, that they, they've shot, they've told the story too soon? Yeah, like, so in Super, at the end of Superior Spider-Man number five, um, a Doc Ock Spider-Man has, uh, has killed somebody. And in this issue, he's gone overboard and basically beat the ever-loving hell out of two nonsense villains on camera. Um, and uh, to me, it feels like that's it's too soon. And in, in if this was five months into a storyline, maybe not. Five, six months into a storyline, maybe not. Right. But we're only technically in the second, third month. And it feels like we're already coming to a head. Like It already feels like it's gone too far. He's already killed someone. What else is there? See, I don't think it's – it doesn't feel like it's come to the head yet for me. I think we've reached a turning point. I think the first five issues or so were all about how he actually is better at being Spider-Man. And now we're going to see how his methods start to tear apart everything in his new life. You know, I think you know the Avengers dealing with him is just going to be the first step. I think over the next six issues, I expect to see 
everything start to fall apart and him get more frustrated and more violent. What what I hate about this book is I feel like we're wrapping it up a little soon. And the the reason why I feel like we might be wrapping it up a little soon is that they just introduced this Anna Maria Marconi character that I really like. I like her, and I like her with you know Superior Spider-Man, and I just don't think we're going to get to see enough of her. You mean you're we're not afraid you're not going to get fidget sex? That's yes. right. We we need the little people sex. It's <laughs> so close to happening too because Ock really likes her. Yeah, he's the, she's the only one he thinks is worthy. Well, is, so is it, is it wrong that I, I was cheering for him to kick that other dude's ass? No, so not wrong at all. Guy had it coming. I also don't have a problem with the fact that Superior Spider-Man, uh, you know, laid the beat down on on uh, you know the Jester and you know Screwball or whatever her name is. Yeah, no, yeah. that's what I meant. Like the guys in the car, I didn't really care about. <laughs> and really, I crossing the line much. and killing someone—that's not too far. That's not enough for them to uh, to make their decision to go talk to him. No, it's just beating the shit out of some people. That is. Yeah. Like, he didn't but, kill these two. These two are alive, but that's a bigger deal to the Avengers. Yeah, and that's 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 kind of why I feel like you blew your load too early. He already killed someone. What is he going to do now that's as bad? You know, unless he takes over the world, but you know that's not going to happen. So I don't know if that jester dude's really alive. The guk guk sound <laughs> <laughs> was pretty damning. Well, in fairness, the jester did nail you know. Nail Superior Spider-Man in the nuts with something from a uh, slingshot. That's no, those, mean, a, those assholes had it coming. I don't give I, a shit. I'm, I'm with Jameson on this one. That's that's worth killing him for. You, you nail a guy in the nuts. The guy has the right to, you know. They're kill. walking internet memes. They deserve to die. And I, <laughs> I was happy that Ock was kicking their ass. Yeah, I, I was fine with that. And, you know, everyone's looking all horrified online. I don't think that would have actually happened. I think that everyone online would be going, yes! You know. Well, or holy I, crap, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and of course, then you've got Berserker Rage Wolverine, who's you know the guy who's gotten on Berserker Rage just more times than I can count, and in the pages of Savage Wolverine killed a bunch of people, right? And he's like, ah, "You're right, we got to bring yeah, him in." But he's also the one that was like, "You guys need to take a pill about this." When they were having the conversation earlier, and yeah. I really thought that was cool. But I, but I disagree. Like, it still doesn't make any sense. You know, like, whoa, chill out. He just shot a defenseless man in the face. Let's give him a break. And then, no, no, he beat somebody up. You're right. We got to bring him in. I think that was more of well, a let's I, give him a chance to like come in and you know talk, we'll, we'll let him come to us so we can talk to him. Yes, yeah, and I, I mean, I get the conversation because yes, Wolverine has killed people. Yes, some of the other people on the Avengers have killed people. But this is Spider-Man. It's obvious something has happened and that he's behaving differently than usual. That's enough reason to have the conversation with him. Not because what he's doing they actually think is wrong, because I'm sure Wolverine would you know, have no problem with what he's done. But it's Spider-Man. Yeah, but I mean, has Peter Parker? The, I think that the reason why they're bringing him in is because he punched a girl in the boob. No, that's probably it. I think that is the whole reason. Not because, you know, he went over the line and hurt people, but it's because he punched a girl in the boob. And you, you just can't have that. Well, listen, well, if they're that big that they cover her whole torso, what's he going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, and has Peter Parker been lost in his brain ever since he shot the guy? Because there's no – like Peter Parker doesn't realize that he shot the guy, I guess. It's never mentioned. Right. Yeah, so has I he s- been in his mind the whole time? 
that's kind of what I got. Peter's going through his mind trying to find a way, because you mentioned it last issue. He's going through his mind trying to find a way to get back and get his body back. And when that, you know, when this happens, it pushes him back to the forefront because he's going through his memories. Yeah, but that didn't happen when he shot that guy in the face. Oh, no, he was there. I thought he was there for that. Uh-uh. I mean, we we have not seen Peter react to him shooting Massacre in the face, and I'm sure that'll be explained next issue that Peter goes, oh, my God, I didn't realize that happened because I was lost in your brain. I thought Peter was there begging him not to do it. Yeah. Was he? Yeah, and I think that's why after that he went back into his mind because he's not he's not able to stop him out here. So he's trying to find the memories to be able to get his body back. Uh, You're right. right. I pulled up the page and, yeah, Peter's there. He's in panel with uh, the guy. But he he doesn't have a reaction to it. He doesn't mention it at all. They cut away. Yeah, but I mean, you'd think Peter would say, "Ever since he shot Massacre, I would I've been, you know, working double time to, blah blah blah." Yeah. Like you haven't seen like Peter's reaction to the end of this issue. You see Peter react to him doing this, but you don't see his reaction at all to him shooting someone in the face. You only see his reaction prior to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a little surprising to me. Um, And here's the thing: I don't dislike the book. I think it's I, – I enjoy the book. I'm glad Umberto Ramos is back. I think he did a dynamite job. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like I don't know how much more – they how much further they can take the story. Like is it going to end in the next two months? Because I don't know if I want to see another 12 issues of this. You know, I, I, I feel like it's already it, – it's hit its peak, and it, it now we're, we're coming to the point where it needs to be resolved. I, I think be, this goes without saying, but I was not happy to see Umberto Ramos back. I thought he did a beautiful job on this book. Yeah. thought it was a lovely book. But you and know I what think, else was a lovely book? Artifacts number 26. Well, yes and no. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it Actually, the art was quite good, but it wasn't in, in parts. Yeah, but it wasn't Stepan Sayich anymore. Oh, it wasn't. No, Stepan Sayich has left the title. He is actually do, – not left the title. He is now – He's book. <laughs> He's doing an Aphrodite nine yeah. um, book, so um, the art has been taken over by uh, e- Tim. Help me out here. Uh, some dude. Sorry, <laughs> I got nothing. Ron Marsh is going to talk about us on Twitter if we do Whatever. not get this correct. Like <laughs> <laughs> Uno momento. Yeah, Aphrodite is a character I've always wanted to like, so I might give that a uh, a shot. She's been good as a supporting or a background character. The art is by Marco Torini. Yeah, Marco Torini, um, this, he has taken over with this issue, and he is the new ongoing artist of Artifacts. Um, but big big things have happened in the uh, progeny storyline. Let's wrap up, wrap up the art. The art okay. is good, but you, there are some panels that are just rushed, and you can tell. Yeah, I, 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 I will say one of the main draws of Artifacts was Stepan Sayich. Yeah. Um, you know the the one two punch of Ron Mars and Stepan Sayage, they were really a dynamite team. So it is very hard to compare any artist to that guy coming in and taking over the storyline. That being said, I think Marco Torini is a is is a good artist. It just you know it it, it is very different. Like I, I didn't know that they had a new artist coming on the title with this issue. So when I opened the book, I'm like, whoa, whoa! Stepan Sayage did something really different in his art this issue, and um, he did not. Well, yeah, well, he did. He this just dude did has it. another 120 pages of ravine to draw, so he's like, I can't do it all. Yeah, like that's probably what happened. But he's a busy dude. No, the art's the art's fine, but I, I worry if they're going to keep him to his schedule because, like I said, there's some panels. There's a panel with 
Jack Estacado and Tom Judge like side by side start changing into their you know their their different uh, their avatars basically, mm-hmm. and that was that was not good. Everything else pretty pretty decent, but you you can tell the ones where he he didn't have as much time. Yeah, well, and I think the part part of that might be because this was a storyline that maybe he didn't because I'm looking at the solicit and it was originally solicited with Stepan Sayic, mm-hmm. so he might have had to step in. Quicker because it, it, you know yeah. this was, it's been a monthly story, it's been a weekly storyline. So yeah. this issue came out much faster than they usually do. So he might have just had to step in last minute to take over okay. the issue. Well, I'll come some slack for that, but Paul, you need to explain to me what the hell's Witchblade doing? All right, so um, so the four part progeny storyline has basically been about um the artifact bearers, the ones that we've seen thus far. Um, confronting Tom Judge about rebooting the universe, and basically, um, what's happened is we've discovered that now the artifact, uh, the, the ones involved in the in the storyline, are aware of how the universe was, including Sarah Pizzini, um, is aware of how the universe was and aware that the universe is different. Yeah, Tom Judge went to her and shook her shook her little little brain and made her realize that things are messed up. Yeah. So you know, and so, so how does she repay him, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Tom Judge, it, it, you realize that the problem with the universe is Jenny, and killing Jenny will undo the universe. Jenny being um, uh, Jackie Estacado's wife, because she died in the original universe, and by creating her back in this new universe, she's kind of the crux on what the universe falls on. Yeah, they have they have a big theory that killing her will either end it automatically or it'll unravel Jackie to the point where they can they can beat him and you know fix things. Yeah, Something so like that. yeah, which I mean uh, it makes sense, I guess. Okay uh, so Tom Judge is getting ready to kill Jenny, and she is saved by Sarah Pizzini, the Witchblade, um, because Sarah does not want to go back to the universe where you know she she didn't realize it until this storyline that she was the one who killed Hope. Jackie actually tried to stop her, and Sarah was the one who killed Hope to undo the old universe. So, you know, she, you know, at least in this universe, hope still exists. And so she actually, you know, let Jackie walk this time. Um, But I feel like, you know, they, you know, this storyline really kind of brought a big turning point to the rebirth universe and that a lot of the characters realize, whoa, the universe is not what it's supposed to be. You know, it's not just like it would be like someone in the new 52 realizing, oh, shit, there was an old 52 and it should have been, you know, and things were better then. And then they did a 12-issue arc around trying to get back to the way it was and then realizing, oh, we're not going to. Yeah. That's kind of why I thought it was kind of BS. Well, I mean, I, I see. I didn't think they were going to undo it this fast. And I get – I mean, here's the thing. I, I actually liked the storyline because if they had just gone back to the way things were, it hasn't been in this new universe that long. Oh, no, no. I uh, I, I wasn't expecting it to do that, Paul. I I was I, I was expecting them to kill Jenny and then there would be a, a bunch of issues with Jackie losing his stuff, you know. Yeah, and I think that'll still happen. Honestly, I think because it seems like this is a turning point, but it seems like it's not just going to go away. I think things are going to continue to build, and I think we will see you know things come to a head at some point. But I mean, I, I enjoyed the storyline. I enjoyed the changes that it brought. Um, I'm curious as to how it'll play out in Witchblade. You know, I uh, guess maybe my the reason I didn't like it is because maybe I didn't understand the the reasoning behind the Witchblade character. Because I would have thought that that would have been incentive to join, you know, 
Tom Judge and his merry band of uh, do-hooters. Yeah, but she was the one who killed Hope. I mean, so she doesn't want to go back to that. She'd rather stay in the universe where Hope is alive. And where everybody is screwed because Cthulhu, Vicente, and <laughs> the darkness are <laughs> buddies. Uh, that's kind of selfish in a way. Well, yeah, but I think, that, again, I think, and I agree with you, and I think that's kind of where we're going to see this go. I mean, I think we're going to see that this was the wrong decision. Okay. I, mean, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think this is over. I just think this was, I think this was the start of the unraveling of this new universe. Um, but I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the fact that it was weekly, you know, a crossover like this crossovers like this, really it, the speed in which they came out helped with the flow of the storyline. Yeah. It kept your interest. Yeah, and even though it was four different writers, four well, no, three different writers and four different artists, I, I, it was consistent throughout and good quality, and I just enjoyed it. So, you know what else I enjoyed this week? What's that, Paul? I enjoyed Avengers number eight from Jonathan Hickman and Dustin do 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 um, Dustin Weaver. Um, now. Is that 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 sounds like a change because when they when that when that book started I don't remember anybody liking it. It is it is a massive change because you know the the first issues the first three arc issue storyline was kind of rough. It may have been four issues was kind of rough, um, and the art was yeah. But since then they brought on Adam Kubert for a couple of issues, and now Dustin Weaver, who was the artist on Shield, also written by Jonathan Hickman, um, has come in for a couple of issues. And uh, they're introducing or reintroducing the new universe. And, uh, I, you know, I was a huge new universe fan back in the day. And uh, my favorite character in the new universe books was the star brand. And mm-hmm. this is the issue that they reintroduced the star brand. And I love this issue largely because uh, we get to see a fastball special in which Captain Marvel throws the Hulk at somebody from space. Wow, <laughs> that does sound pretty cool. And but I, I do have one. There's one thing that bothered me about that, Paul, um, mm-hmm. is that you know you would think that uh, uh, you know you, you throw the Hulk from orbit, you know, down to somebody uh, on planet Earth. You know, you would think that he'd be traveling super fast, right? Yeah. You know, and you know there there there, there are certain laws of physics that when you're traveling at a certain speed, you see it before you hear it. And, uh, you know, the, the Hulk's roar preceded him <laughs> hitting this guy. And it just really bugged me. I'm like, no, they never should have heard him. You know, they should have, they, they, they might have seen, you know, the spectacular display of him reentering the atmosphere, but they shouldn't have been able to hear him until after he was already on them. So basically, know, what's he got terminal velocity for a Hulk? Is terminal velocity for a Hulk faster than the speed of sound or not? I, I would think so. When when cat when not only is he just falling to Earth, but he's been thrown to Earth, which is pretty awesome. I mean, it is an awesome scene. The cannonball. Yeah, special. I just I just it would have done so much more for me if you hadn't had the growl precede because you know he hears him a full two panels before he hits. Yeah, which and that is, just bugged the shit out of me. There, there's got to be something to it because it, it it is very clearly intentional that he hears the roar two panels before he comes. Yeah. Um. Well, my favorite panel of the issue is Captain Marvel, with whose hair looks surprisingly decent in this issue. Yeah. Um. So the Avengers have, are all gathered around this kid who has the uh, Star Brand power, and uh, 
Captain Marvel goes, you're sitting in a smoking crater, kid, naked. We've all gathered here today to bring you pants. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, Jonathan Hickman, when he first started this book, he missed – like the, the first couple of issues just seemed to miss it all. Yeah, to it took it all a while to get it to, to catch his stride. Yeah, it's like he has he, – let me just throw all my ideas on paper and 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 it's good. And it's like, no, it's not. You need the character moments. And this had – they had his crazy ideas and the character moments, and it worked so well. Well, and I really like the way Hickman voices Thor in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 the Avengers order the kid to stand down and he's like, well, what if I don't want to? And Thor throws his, I mean, just out of nowhere naked, you know, he seems like a teenager, maybe a little bit older, uh, scrawny kid, you know, with these world altering powers and out of nowhere, uh, Thor throws Majolner, hits the kid right in the center, blasts him across the landscape and, and Thor, you know, uh, calls out what you want boy is a concern for your mother or your weak need father <laughs> I just i was like yeah get him thor <laughs> i i may go out and buy this now based on what you guys are saying uh quick question are they introducing concepts from new universe or characters um it is uh retooled characters okay i could deal with it because most of the time when they've tried to do bring anything new universe back it's gone pretty poorly. Yeah, no, the, uh, Universal was not a good series. No, the only exception is the net profit in uh, Spider-Man 2099 was done very well. I'm more of a gross uh, profit guy. <laughs> <laughs> Other than uh, him, though, every new Universe retool attempt they've done has been an utter failure. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I have enjoyed this quite a bit since Paul lured me back in. Well, you know, I mean, it was just – once that first storyline was done, it just got really – Dynamite. And I got to say, one thing that I like about Hickman um, that was missing in those first issues again, but it's there now, and it's in New Avengers, which we're not talking about this week, New Avengers number four. His characters sound different. Yeah. And that is something that I can't say is true of most other popular Marvel writers, including Brian Michael Bendis. Especially with Brian Michael Bendis, all his characters really sound alike. They're all smart and talky and blah, blah. You know, they all. No, I'm not. You do it. You take it back. No, all his characters are like way too talky. They all, they all sound the same to me. You're you too just, talky. Well, yeah, you, that's true. I say, are you reading all the Avengers? Because that's the exception to that. They they're not all the same voice over there. Well, I I, I actually disagree. I do think that it's, they just. I, I think a lot of his characters sound alike. They all have the same overly talky traits and they all they're all witty and they're all funny. And with Avengers, I feel like every character has a distinct voice like that's okay paul we accept that you're wrong sometimes frequently i don't know when thor talks you know it's thor when captain america talks you know it's captain america and it's different than the way iron man talks and i don't think those are necessarily true of some of the other books well and i particularly enjoy you know not just the avengers in this book but the supporting cast uh Mm -hmm. for instance uh captain captain universe Mm-hmm. You know, I really enjoyed Captain Universe in this book, uh, and you know, Captain Universe is one of those characters that is so poorly written so often. Um, I think a lot of writers just don't know what to do with the concept, but I'm really digging it here. I'm enjoying Hyperion in this book. You know, even though you don't get to see a whole lot of Hyperion, mm-hmm. the moments that you do get to see are a lot of fun. I have an issue with Captain Universe, actually. I got an issue with you, Paul. Yeah, it's the kind of morning we're having. <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell is she on the team? Well, because I don't understand. <laughs> Why would you hire someone like that? 
Well, she, because the universe is broken, and they need to have Captain Universe there to represent that. Just keep her in the jet until <laughs> she's needed, though. You can't keep Captain Universe in a corner. <laughs> she's just she's crazy, and she just sits there spouting bullshit and crazy <laughs> things. And it's like, oh yeah, let let the, <laughs> she'll help. Which really she doesn't. No, no, but she does provide some interesting color to the book. True, and it it, it is a a great book um that started off very rough and uh, i'm glad i stuck with it i am amazed at how creative uh you know the artist was in not showing us kevin uh connor's junk yeah well they show his butt at the end and i was like oh i'm fine i guess he ran out of ways to show it that's fine as long as you know i don't get to see his uh you know his wedding tackle his Uh, star brand (laughs) 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 okay next book paul (laughs) (laughs) so this week from dc comics constantine number one came out replacing um the vertigo book hellblazer and before we get into constantine did you guys see that hellblazer was on sale this weekend on comiXology i did i bought absolutely none of it really i bought the last issue (laughs) because i wanted to give it a read but all 300 issues of hellblazer were 99 cents a piece Mm mm-hmm which is a pretty good deal. But um, that book has ended, and now Constantine is in the DC Universe proper. And this is his solo book, co-written by Jeff Lemire and Ray Fox, with art by Renato Guedes. Something like that? I would tell you, but my comicsology reader just crashed. So I'm reading. <laughs> we are not having a good morning, Aaron. We really aren't. <laughs> so... Um, I know Andrew had some pretty strong positive feelings about this book. I, I, and I, think, I, I, I think – oh, go ahead. I, I'm stunned by that because you know I'm really enjoying Constantine over in the pages of uh, Justice League Dark. But I think I hated everything about this book. Well, and I will tell you I believe Andrew's strong positive feelings about the book are probably largely due to the fact that Constantine has brought in someone to help him. And basically ran away when the guy was in trouble and let the guy die. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that surprising trait and that darkness to the book is probably why Andrew's like, "Holy shit, did you read this?" And um, you know, I, I honestly, I was kind of surprised about it too. That being said, I didn't actually like the book. Yeah, I didn't either. I I much prefer the character over in Justice League Dark. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not that I thought that the writing was bad or anything like that. I just it didn't seem it didn't seem substantially different or to provide more illumination to the character than what we're already getting in the team book. And I think that's what the, what this book really has to do is it has to show you more, uh, you know, give you more exposure to the character and, you know, kind of outline who he is more so than what you're already getting over there. And I just – I'm sorry I didn't see anything that I'm not getting over there. Agreed, and I didn't care for the art. Um, no, I didn't one, either. The, the, I did not care for the art at all. It's not poorly drawn. I just don't care for the stuff. And I do think part of my issues with the book are the fact that, yes, this was a book that was solicited with a, uh, a writer who then left the book, and now they, they had to bring in a new team um, to start the issue. So I believe maybe it was a bit rushed. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, that being said, I just didn't necessarily care for it. I mean, it was like – it was basically James Bond with magic, but that's not Constantine. Right. Well, you know, the, and, and to talk about the art, you know, everything is competently drawn – Except the settings. I never felt at any point that I was in the place that he was drawing. So, I mean, the, the only place that I felt a, a real sense of space in was within the aircraft. 
Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that was the only. I think that's mainly because those were really the panels that were really fleshed out. Um, most everything else was almost kind of an idea of the page. You it know? felt like too much was jammed into this one issue too. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of decompressed storytelling, but I think there may have been too much jammed into this issue. In this one issue, he meets this guy. They fight on a plane with a, a magical being. They go to an ice hotel. They fight another magical being, and the guy who helps him dies. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like a lot happened. Like I don't even know this freaking character who died. Like I, I felt, yes, I, it was. It definitely did surprise me. That being said, it probably would have surprised me even more if it had happened in issue three instead of issue one, because um, then I would have known who the character was. It, like there wasn't much in the way of characterization other than. Constantine's an asshole, and this guy is the guy he let die. Like, I wasn't able to get much more out of the book than that. Right. Now, you know, when we talk about the art, Paul, what do you think about the cover? Um, I like the cover. I think the cover's kind of badass. I, and I believe know, it's the same artist. I, I think it is, too. And I don't know why I am reacting so differently to the cover than I am the book, other than that the coloring scheme seems to be different. Oh, you know what? The cover is not the same artist. It's not? The cover is Ivan Reese. Ah, well, that would be why. Because, yeah, I, I really like Ivan Rice. Uh, oh, it's, it's yeah, it's uh, his whole studio. It's uh, Ivan Rice, Joe Prada, and Rod Rice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, the cover is dynamite. But the, the interior colors really seem to bug me. And you know, there's almost a, uh, a halftone quality to it where nothing's quite so vibrant. It's all very muted. And I get that they're trying to create that ethereal environment to the, to the book. But I, it just nothing pops in the, in the interiors. Yeah, nothing. I mean, honestly, yeah. we're not just talking the I'm, – I'm, talk, I'm not just talking the visuals. I'm talking the writing. I'm yeah. talking nothing popped out at me other than that one scene where the character died. And honestly, it didn't endear me to, to Constantine. And I know Constantine's an asshole, and that's what you're supposed to get out of him right. you know, by any means necessary. But it just – it wasn't enough yeah. for me, and I, I'm not on board for number two. Yeah, and I think I'm sad. as well, and I, and I think that will really upset Andrew when he listens to this. Yeah, you know, well, six weeks from now. Yeah, he'll he'll find out after he purchases issue two. <laughs> Nobody say anything. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I didn't dig it. I, I'm going to continue to get my Constantine over in Justice League Dark. Correct. So you know, speaking of Justice League, Justice League of America number two came out from Jeff Johns and David Finch, um, and uh, the team has still not been brought into action, but they're about to. Uh, but they have been all gathered together finally to meet, and. Um, Wayne, you haven't spoken for a little while, but I know you picked up this issue. What'd you think? I wish that Stargirl had her own series instead of Vibe, so I could buy that and not this book. I, I'm the only reason I even picked up issue two to give it more of a chance was for Stargirl, and she's not doing enough in the book. So I, I'm kind of on the fence for issue three. I'm not enjoying this book. I don't like most of these characters. I don't like how they're portrayed in the New 52. I used to like Martian Manhunter. I hate this version of him. The backup story just further cemented my hatred of this character in the New 52. Stargirl is the only redeeming thing in this book, and she's only in a couple panels. I uh, have a very different reaction to this book. Number one, I think this should have been the first issue instead of the second issue. Agreed. I think it did a much better job of, of launching the, the series than the first issue did. And I loved this book. I loved everything about this book. Um, I thought that uh, the characters were, were well written. I was intrigued by what was going on. There were some beautiful character moments. Uh, like, for instance, you know, Hawkman sits down next to Vibe. And, uh, you know, Vibe says, uh, 
um, you're covered in blood. And Hawkman just answers simply with, it's not my blood. And there's that scene, there's this panel where Vibe kind of assesses that, and the next panel he's moving his chair a little bit further away from Hawkman. <laughs> I just think that's hysterical. <laughs> I, I guess we're going to go the whole gamut here, as far as this book is concerned, because I loved the writing of the book. Mm-hmm. I could not stand the David Finch art. Really? I felt his art was just way too uneven. Some panels are very David Finchy. Some panels are not. And I, I, I don't know if he has this new art style. And he's actually talked about his new art style online, um, like digital 3D inking or something like that. And I'm just – I'm not digging the way it looks. Um, I have some real issues with the way some of these pages look. I, I, it looks – it looks amateurish, and I, I will say that definitely of the cover. I think the cover is terrible. Uh, I have no problem with the cover. I did have some issues with the art as well, Paul. Like uh, the close-up on Star Girl's face, I thought was horrible when they're doing their, uh, you know, when they're first walking in and introducing each other. Mm-hmm. A lot of the face shots, especially the close-up face shots, I had the same <laughs> issue with. Yeah, I liked the uh, alternate cover better than I liked the regular cover. I think what Wayne's trying to say is that generally he usually likes face shots, but uh, <laughs> sorry. So, I, okay, Paul, I, I dug- which cover is the regular and which is the alternate? The regular is the one by David Finch. It's like a white background and it just shows the team. Um, if Are you reading it digitally or not? No, I read the physical. Oh, okay. The regular cover is a, a white background with the team kind of like uh, Simon Baz Green Lantern is front and center. And above him are the Martian Manhunter and Catwoman and Hawkman above them. That sounds like the cover I have, except it's not white background. It's uh, kind of a reddish. Oh, yeah, yeah. Background. Sorry. Yeah, that, that is the regular cover. Okay. And I'm just looking at Martian Manhunter and like vibe like the characters just it just looks very amateurish. I mean, look at Hawkman. He is above. He is in front of the title and his face just looks like it was drawn by someone who's doing. You know, like a, a local comic book. It's it's just very amateurish to me. Yeah, see, I didn't have a problem with the cover, and that's why I was asking what the alternate cover was, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't looking at the alternate cover thinking that you were just nuts with your cover problems. So, Paul, what did you think of the backup story? I enjoyed it. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting piece to the story. And uh, the backup story is essentially talking about the uh, security procedures the White House has in place to you know, defend against superhero or supervillain terrorism. Uh, it was very interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I like I, the art on the backup. And I don't think that I tuned in until this issue that Obama is the president in the DC Universe because the DC Universe does not usually use uh, the actual president. Usually they have a fictitious president. Yeah, oh, they've, yeah, they've done a, yeah, they've done Obama in their books pretty much since the new 52 i've seen him in and, two or three books and I, and I guess this is the first time i've tuned into that so yeah. making them a little bit more marvel yeah i will say i did enjoy going through all the security procedures about the the white house what they were doing and how we, i enjoyed all of that it's just the martian manhunter i didn't care for in that backup story yeah. for me I, the art picks up on at the end the ending sequence especially where you see um the robot superman batman and wonder woman uh-huh I, th- I love that page. It's just uneven for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think some of the panels are just way too small. Yeah. And I think that's – unfortunately, I think maybe that's Jeff Johns also trying to learn how to write for David Finch. Right. Like David Finch doesn't do good with small panels. They look like stick figures. 
<laughs> you know, stuff like that. Well, while we're on the subject of uh, Justice League of America, I do, and I, and I know we don't have it on the outline, Paul, but I do want to say one thing about uh, Justice League this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm buying all my books digitally these days, and sometimes I get really frustrated in the way in which they do the scan. You know, uh, you know how they're how they're doing the guided view in Comicsology, and one of the things that just drove me absolutely crazy in Justice League this week is that they they had these great big huge scenes of you know all these superheroes because you know Justice League is on a pledge drive or you know on a membership drive, pledge drive you know like like uh, you know public TV. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you uh, support the Justice League, you get this nice Superman tote bag. Um, anyway, uh, you, you know, Justice League is having a membership drive, and so you've got all these heroes all in one place. And so they they do this sort of dramatis persona over in the corner. So you have a little you know uh, box of like you know the hero's face, and then it'll have his name under it. So it'd be like Nightwing, Superman, etc. Well, in the guided view. They never zoom on that stuff. You know, they, they don't zoom on on the little box identifying who the character is. They just oh. cut straight to the main page. And so you're only seeing it, you know, if you if you open the page wide open, uh, you don't actually get to get the zoom. You have to zoom in on it yourself. And I just think it's a missed opportunity in the guided view because you know, all the detail is there. It's not like it's so small that you're not getting, you know, an accurate representation of what the character would look like. I don't know why they don't do that. It'd be so much more dramatic if it went panel to panel. Aquaman, Batman, Cyborg, The Flash, Superman, Wonder Woman, and then cut to the main page of all those guys talking. You know, yeah, the books sense. I buy would be so drastically different if I did what you did, Aaron, if I went entirely digital. Uh-huh. Because for me, when I go to the shop, I pick up the books and I flip through them. Well, you know, in the Comicsology reader, if I'm on the fence about something, I look at the three-page preview. The problem is it only gives you the first three pages, I though. I and a lot of times it's the stuff later in the book. Yeah. Like when I flipped through Justice League, I, I was looking through and I was like, this looks like it's a pretty heavy cyborg issue. And it looks like it's sitting around and talking a lot. And as I flipped through it, I realized I don't think I'm going to like this. Yeah. So I didn't get it. But a lot of the books I get, I get spur of the moment as I flip through there on the shelf. I do more, I guess, impulse buying than I do my actual pull. Well, you know, on this, there's a page where, you know, you've got the Justice League and then all the recruits on the same page. And there are one, two, three, four, five. There are 12 additional panels that they could have a guided view to that they chose not to do. And I'm sure some of that is expensive time, you know. That you know they didn't want to waste the the time doing all of those those additional moves through the viewer, but I really think that would have changed the experience. That you would have had you know as somebody who's reading you know purely in 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 the digital mode, you would have you know had this nice introduction to each of these characters that I think is easy to miss if you're going strictly through guided view. Because you know, you think about, you know, they're introducing these ten new characters to the Justice League audience. You know, Black Canary, Black Lightning, Blue Devil, Elemental Woman, Firestorm, uh, Gold Rush, Nightwing, Platinum, Vixen, Zatanna. I just think it would have been so much more dramatic if they'd gone through all of that and then taken you into the conversation of the page. Yeah. I, I mean I didn't read it digitally, but I'm surprised that they didn't do it that way. Yeah. The, like you said, I think it's a, 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 an aspect of time. I think so too. I think so too. But I, I you know, you're paying three ninety nine for the book digitally. They ought to put the time into it. Agreed. 
Anyway, so take us off task. Let's get us back to somebody who was in that room, somebody who was there auditioning with the Justice League. Vibe, vibe. <laughs> so uh, I know people are going to make fun of us for the, or make fun of me for this. I, I I really quite enjoyed Vibe Number Two. Yeah, you know what I enjoyed about Vibe Number Two? What the last couple of pages? That's what I enjoyed about Vibe Number Two. Uh, were those the same pages that were in Justice League? Um, they were the pages that uh, they were talking to. Oh, I forget the the characters that they were talking to. In oh the, yeah, yeah. That's what I enjoyed about it. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing that I enjoyed about Vibe Number One. I really liked it when we saw you know Darkseid's daughter, you know, uh, listed mm-hmm. in the big vault there, and so they're down in that same area uh, where they've got this woman in a tube. And, Gypsy. Gypsy. Thank you. Um, and that was the part I enjoyed. That's the cool part of that book, I think. See, I actually, I, I mean, I enjoyed this issue. I enjoyed that Vibe is doubting himself, and that they think he's worthy of being on the Justice League primarily because of his powers. Um, uh, you know, I enjoyed his brother giving him a hard time, you know, for being a loser, basically. I, well, and clearly they're not telling him the whole story. Yeah. You know, they something's going on. Uh, you know, the the alien the extra dimensional alien that came to give him a message, I feel like was probably a pretty good guy. You know, yeah. I think that he was the bad guy that the government was making him out to be. Oh yeah, agreed. But uh, you know, I I there were elements of the book that I liked, but I don't think it's a particularly good book. Yeah, I I, I actually have to disagree with you. I I enjoyed it. I know. And today, I, 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 today, I'm gonna let you have your opinion. Well, thank you. So, Aaron, kind of guy I am. Are uh, are you gonna pick up vibe number three? I might. You might. That means I, yes. If it was another week like this one where there were so many freaking books, no joke. I might wait a week to pick it up because yeah, there were just so many books this week, so many good books. Um, well, was Supergirl eighteen one of them? Well, you know, I kind of liked Supergirl number. <laughs> I, I did too. Really mixed feelings on it. I enjoyed the book quite a bit. But I was really hoping to see her supporting cast come back. I assume that that DC Comics did not enjoy the book as much as at least we did. Otherwise, they probably would would have put the writer's name on the cover. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, the bait and switch pisses me off quite a bit because they used to do that a lot with Batman Streets of Gotham. And if you look way back in the time machine at one of our old episodes, you'll see me very much complaining about DC doing the bait and switch. Like, this is the writer you like on the cover. But he's not who did the issue. Right. Um, and they did that again with this, which greatly pissed me off. But I still enjoyed the issue, especially the Lex Luthor focus. Yeah, the, the Lex Luthor story was great. You know, the I wasn't reading Supergirl before Hell on Earth, just like I wasn't reading Superboy before Hell on Earth. And I picked up Superboy number 18 to see how the story rolled out post Hell on Earth. And I, I think we all agreed it wasn't a good story. You know that that we didn't enjoy it, and I'm probably not going to pick up Superboy number 19. So, I know I'm not. And so I picked up Supergirl number 18. You know, going well. Let's see how this goes. And I found that I enjoyed it rather a lot. Um, I liked that. Uh, you know, it looks like we're going to get a little Power Girl action in the next issue. Um, I liked that she is carrying forward something from the Hell on Earth story. You know, she had that kryptonite poisoning at the end of that story, and you know she's still suffering from it in this book. Um, I, I like that there were consequences to what happened in Hell on Earth, and I like that we're getting to see that play forward, and I liked that we got to spend some quality time with Lex Luthor, who is escaping from prison in his mind. Yeah, I really enjoyed the issue. I enjoyed what they did with it, and that's 
despite being disappointed that we're not seeing the old supporting cast, they may just be cutting ties and with Hell on Earth going forward, create a new supporting cast, which I would be disappointed in because I was reading Supergirl before it. But I think it'll still be good if they do that. I just I really miss, you know, her supporting cast. Are those tattoos on Lex's face? No, they're scars. And where where did he get these scars from? Uh, Superman, but they have not said how yet. Huh. Okay. It, it, the, the issue of Superman where um where he sees Lex Luthor in prison during Hell on Earth, I think it's number 14, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, he says that he got the scars from Superman, but doesn't say how. Okay. Now, um, does the uh, design for the orbital uh, solar space station look a little bit like the Watchtower in the Justice League animated series? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so, too. Yeah. When I first saw it, I thought it was the Watchtower until I saw that it was next to the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I very much enjoyed Supergirl 18. Um, and in fact, that's been true, even though I didn't pick up Supergirl at the beginning, um, and I hopped back in and read the trade. Um, in general, I feel like Supergirl has been a better book than Superboy. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's been a better book than Superman and Action Comics. No, it's, um, it's been pretty I have. I have really enjoyed Supergirl since the beginning. And I said, and I, in, I enjoyed her whole supporting staff that I guess now that you're reading the trades, you're kind of getting introduced to the, the Silver Banshee and all of them, Paul. Yeah, I think they'll be back because, I mean, the writers are coming back. They, this was a fill-in issue. They've already said it was a fill-in issue. Um, it just would have been nice to know it was a fill-in issue. I would have picked it up regardless, but it would have and, – and I'm glad I did. You know, it, it's funny because – you know, we talked about Jonathan Hickman's big ideas in Avengers, and when you see stuff like Lex Luthor having a having a conference call with other villains in his mind, that is such a Hickman thing. Yeah, it's kind of cool. He he would be great, uh, you know, in the Superman universe. But um, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, also dealing with the fallout of a major crossover is Nightwing number eighteen which is dealing with the fallout from both Death of the Family and Batman Incorporated Death of Robin. Um, And we all read this one, too. So, uh, Aaron, what did you think of Nightwing 18? Well, you know, I thought the writing was fantastic in this book. Um, I I really enjoyed the moments between... you know, Dick and you know his remembrances of Damien and the uh, – I'm just drawing a blank on her name. Um, Sonia Zuko. Sonia, yeah, Sonia Zuko, who is the daughter of uh, Tony Zuko, the, the man who killed uh, Dick's parents. You know, I enjoyed all of that. I mean, I really do. I think the, I think the writing was top-notch. I think it was an appropriate follow-up to, to uh, the death of Damien. However, the uh, uh, artwork by Juan Jose Rip was terrible. Um, the, I, I, so many of the facial features of the characters looked like they were, you know, uh, tacked on like a Mr. Potato Head. I mean, it was terrible. And, you know, you've got this beautiful Eddie Barrows cover, but, uh, the interior artwork was just awful in my opinion. In well, fact, you know, Damien Wayman, Damien Wayman, Damien Wayne, who is 10 years old, looks like he's 19 when he's drawn in these pages. Yeah, but you'll be happy to know that uh, Brett Booth is taking over the art with the next issue. Well, you may not be happy to know, but you'll be happy to know that Juan Jose Rip is not on the next issue. Yeah, I, I, this the, the artwork was uh, profoundly bad. Yeah, I don't think I would go as far as you would, Eric. I would say as profoundly inconsistent. 
I think some pages were very good. Some faces were very good. I thought Tony Zuko's face was good. But there were others where I had that same issue. Like the very first page, the uh, that picture of Robin with his big, gigantic lips that look like he's yeah. been uh, shot up with Botox. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Like I said, it looks like it looks like Mr. Potato Head lips. You know? <laughs> but you know what the sad thing is? And Kyle Higgins, I mean, it's probably no, you know, no surprise here because we like Kyle Higgins. But he wrote a damn good issue. Yes, I mean, yes. this is exactly how I would expect Dick Grayson to deal with the death of Robin. Nightwing is very has very quickly become one of my favorite books. Not just one of my favorite DC books. This is one of my favorite books that I read each month. And it's one of the first that I read because I'm excited about it. I think that he's probably done the best job of integrating the Requiem into his continuing story. It wasn't taking a pay, taking a step out of the story to deal with Requiem. It's just tying it into what he's doing. You know, best job of any of the tie-ins for that. I like that it's building on what had already happened. You know, that it's not just okay. Let's stop the fallout from Death of the Family and now let's do Requiem Fallout. That the two are actually combining to make something even worse for him. And just they were really seeing. Dick Grayson as a character grow in this right in the writing here. Very, very much love this book. Well, and I love the setup. I love that they're setting Dick up to go to Chicago, get him away from Gotham. You know, it's kind of funny because when the New 52 started, it was, all right, let's bring every Bat character back to Gotham. You know, and then they were like, eh, you know, it kind of worked better when Dick Grayson wasn't in Gotham. So they spent as much effort as they can taking him out of Gotham. Um, and now he's going to Chicago to deal with Tony Zuko, uh, who is who is apparently alive and well. And uh, I, I, I really do like this book. And I think it's I think Nightwing um, is very consistently written. Well, I, I was looking at Brett Booth's artwork for uh, the upcoming Nightwing, and it looks pretty sweet. Yeah. You know, he's he's definitely in a. He has a 90s style to him, but I quite enjoy his art. Well, so. almost anything would be an improvement over this. <laughs> this this was profoundly bad. So the last two books this week we're going to talk about are One-Two Punch of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy um, and Nova, Marvel's uh, Galactic Universe. So Guardians of the Galaxy had a new Infinite comic this week, free Infinite comic, this issue focusing on Rocket Raccoon. What, and, what uh, did you just say? Rocket Raccoon. What did you just call him? <laughs> Uh, I called him by his name, so I don't know why he's so upset when you call him. You know, all I got to say is if, if you want to get your head shot clean off, <laughs> go ahead and call him a raccoon, Paul. Apparently. Go ahead and do it. Call him a raccoon. Okay, do so I haven't, I haven't read this yet because if you remember last week, we talked about the other Infinite comic, and it actually hurt my uh, interest in Guardians of the Galaxy. So I am, I am eagerly waiting to hear if I should read this book or not. Uh, okay, so – uh, I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to say, despite the fact that I didn't necessarily care for the art, mm-hmm. I think it was a better example of an infinite comic than the first issue. In that, agree. you know, it simulated that animation feel a hell of a lot better than the first one, but the art was still not that good. Yeah, the 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 artwork is worth every penny you pay for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it being a free download, um, the artwork was not was not what you would like. I mean, you know. 
they've got a high bar to cross when you think of what they did during AVX with the Infinite Comics. Um, they also have a high bar to cross because, I, frankly, I'm sorry, Mark Wade has a better grasp of this medium than anybody else does. You know, he writes so much better for the digital medium than uh, Bendis does. And don't yeah. get me wrong, I enjoyed the text and dialogue in the book, but I don't think Bendis has a real sharp grasp for the scene transitions. Well, actually, before you did you because you weren't on that week. Did you read the Atomic Robo digital comic it, it, book? It's beautiful. Yeah, I, I think I think Brian Clevenger definitely has a good grasp too. Completely agree. And when Brian Clevenger does his Superman book, uh, I think it should be done completely digitally, and I, I'll be all on that. Mm-hmm. You know, because Paul and I have decided that Brian Clevenger needs to do a Superman book. Agreed. Yeah, we have we have not yet convinced either DC Comics or Brian Clevenger that this is the case, but we have decided, and we've already you know posted it in the solicits and the upcoming previews. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he really should start on it. <laughs> That's right. They need to get cracking. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I enjoyed the Rocket Raccoon Infinite comic. I don't think I would have enjoyed it had I paid for it. Yeah. If it had been two bucks, I would have been like, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a teaser story. It, it's, it gives you a little character background, uh, you know, kind of like the, the Drax story did. Um, I, I'm very, still very much looking forward to you know seeing more of him and Guardians of the Galaxy and in the pages of Nova, but uh, this was a nice this was a nice glimpse into the character. Do you think yeah. it's a good glimpse for somebody who has never read the character ever? I think you will get a great understanding of his character and what type of character he is. That he's basically a hothead flirt, um, but I mean the art is definitely a detracting issue. It, it is. You know, and I think Rocket Raccoon, in general, is hard to draw. Yeah, no, I, and you know, I, I think that uh, the guys who did the best job on Rocket Raccoon were, you know, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning and the creative team of all of the Cosmic books from a couple of years ago. You know, the, those I just thoroughly loved those pages. You know, in in Guardians and and in the War of Kings, etc., uh, with Rocket Raccoon. Not so much enjoying it here, but I'm enjoying what we've seen over in Nova. Which I so which I have to say, Rocket Raccoon's appearance in Nova, a little shaky for me. In terms of art, or just in terms of uh, what you got to see on the page. Um, now I will say, Ed McGinnis can draw the shit out of some Rocket Raccoon. I love his Rocket Raccoon. I say, you know, I've said before that I don't much care for Ed McGinnis. Particularly, didn't care for him drawing the Hulk books. Mm-hmm. But he has completely adjusted his style for this book, and God, it's beautiful. You know, and I think it's because he's drawing a book that's not all muscle-bound characters. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, I love his Rocket Raccoon in this book. Yeah. Um, that being said, Rocket Raccoon tried to shoot a kid in the face what? for just calling him a raccoon. What's wrong with that? He tried to shoot him in the face. Now, are you objecting to the fact that he was shooting at a kid or that he was shooting someone in the face? Just that he was shooting in general for no good reason. <laughs> but the guy, the, he, he was maligned. <laughs> it seems a little too <laughs> extreme a response. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disagree with you there, Paul. It's okay. an appropriate measured response. <laughs> I think the book is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I really do. And I'm enjoying the writing on it. Uh, you know, you can't help but notice that uh, the main characters, uh, you know, uh, his name is Sam, 
and uh, wasn't that uh, Jeff Loeb's son's name? Yes. Um, so you, you 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 already kind of have a little sentimental you know uh, beat there you know with the character who, who seems obviously named after Jeff Loeb's deceased son. Um, I I'm digging this book. I. I'm, I love the art direction on the new costume for the Novas and that, you know, this is kind of their black ops core, it appears. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm digging that, you know, we've got the kid who's discovering his powers, and that's always kind of fun. I like that as he's discovering his powers, he flies too fast, crashes into the moon, and lands at the feet of the Watcher. You know, that's, yeah, kind of, that's awesome. That's <laughs> kind of so I, I think there is nothing not to like about this book. Yeah, I can't recommend this book enough. I mean, I think it is new reader friendly. Yeah. Um, I mean, not just new reader friendly. I think it's also all ages friendly. Huh? I would. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, kids can really enjoy this book. It's a, it's a kid. He's discovering his father was a hero. I mean, you know, almost like a Star Wars type thing. You know, and who enjoys kids getting shot in the face more than other kids? And raccoons. Yeah. So you know, I. What's not to like here, Paul? <laughs> and the Ed McGinnis art is definitely all ages friendly. It's just a great book. I, I, I am enjoying it. I think it's fun. I think Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis are bringing a sensibility to the book that neither one of them has brought to any of their Marvel work since moving over to Marvel. Yeah. No, it's great stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, highly recommended. So next week. What's coming out next week, Paul? Well, if you haven't been reading All New X-Men, All New X-Men Premier Edition Hardcover Volume 1 comes out next week, which is not only the hardcover, but also includes a digital copy of the hardcover. Oh, really? Yeah, all the Marvel Now hardcovers will be coming with digital copies. Hmm. Um, so that comes out next week, as does Age of Ultron number 10. Um, you you have Ultron number 10 already. Isn't it number 3? I'm sorry, number 3 of 10. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Like, yeah, Age of Ultron number 3. Um, if you are a Doom 2099 fan, Doom 2099, the complete Warren Ellis collection comes out next week. Are you fucking kidding me? Wow. Seriously. Seriously. Hardback or trade? Trade. It is Doom 2099, complete collection by Warren Ellis. It collects issues 24 through 39 and collection from of material from 2099, The World of Doom. Huh. Uh, that. I'm gonna. Sounds like I might be buying that. Gonna <laughs> get me some of that. Um, oh, no, Guardians... I, that skipped my radar. I don't know how I didn't know that was coming out. Yeah, cover price is forty bucks, but I'm sure you could get a good deal on it. Uh, but I it collects, know. I mean, a good sixteen issues worth of comic. Yeah, the complete collect, and it's you know it is uh, twenty two eighty five on Amazon. Whew, yeah, that's almost half price. Yeah, no, I'm, Mr. Head is placing his order. Hi, Wayne. <laughs> Wayne, yes. have you ordered your Superman, uh, Death of Superman uh, omnibus yet? I haven't. I'm not a big fan of omnibuses. I, love I, don't omnibuses. Re- I never read them because they're too big. There's like 40 pages of uh, never seen material in that book. Ooh. Yeah, I'm getting I think it's like 70 bucks, isn't it? Uh, it is $99, I believe, on uh, on Amazon. And I paid – I mean it's $99 retail, and I think I paid – you may be right, Paul. Hell, I'm on Amazon. Why don't I fucking look? <laughs> <laughs> so while you look that up, you also coming out. keep taking my money between that and the uh, the statue that I want now. Yep. <laughs> um, Guardians of the Galaxy number one comes out next week. Uh, I'm excited for this thing again. I, I did just read uh, the Rocket Raccoon one while you guys were talking about Nova. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that. I love the story. I... I knew nothing about the character, and I kind of just fell in love with the character just reading that. 
See? Superman, the death and return of Superman Omnibus, which releases on March 26th, is $99.99 retail. Uh, Amazon has it for 54 bucks right now. Yeah, I'm ordering it. Yeah, I, I, I ordered mine already, and my, my mission is to get it autographed by Dan Jurgens. Oh, yes. That is my mission, and with a sketch inside. Friend of the podcast, Dan Jurgens. Yes, friend. Of, hi, friend of the podcast, Dan Jurgens. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm seeking him out, and that that is that is gonna that's gonna be my thing. <laughs> um, Superior Spider-Man number six AU comes out next week. And now, um, if you see AU after the number, that is the Age of Ultron um, crossover. I thought that was astronomical unit. Ah, no, it is uh, Age it's of Ultron between the Earth and the Sun. Paul, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Young Avengers number three, uh, Aquaman number eighteen, Batman Incorporated number nine. Um, DC is releasing a trade paperback of their Day of Judgment crossover next week. Um, if you're a fan of Injustice Gods Among Us and have not been reading it digitally, number three comes out next week. That would be me. Um, Superman number eighteen from Scott Lobdell comes out next week. A Superman versus Zod trade paperback. Also coming out next week. What is that Not, collecting? Um, it is collecting Adventure Comics 283, Action Comics 473, 548, 549, DC Comics Presents number 97, and Action Comics Annual number 10. That's all Jeff Johns' work, isn't it? Um, no, actually. Uh, let's see. Uh, Zod meets Superboy and the Criminals from the Phantom Zone. Then Zod battles Superman and Tails from the 1980s. It does have Jeff Johns um, and Richard Donner take a look at the roots of Zod's treachery and Krypton's past. Um, and apparently maybe the first appearance of Zod. I don't know. It is only a $12.99 cover price trade paperback. I see. What I really want them to release on trade paperback, and if they have, I just don't know about it. The first appearance of the Matrix Supergirl. Oh. That storyline where... I love that know, Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as I have the individual issues of when Superman meets Zod in that storyline, but they're old and they're not in the best of shape, and I would love to have that in trade. I love how many times Superman has met Zod for the first time. <laughs> um, for the first time all over again. Yeah. Mark Wade's Green Hornet book starts next week from Dynamite. Mm. I'm definitely interested in that one. Uh, Star Trek Next Generation Hive trade paperback. Uh, Aaron, I know you've been reading that storyline. Yeah, yeah. Um, it seems like it's a little soon for the trade paperback to come out, though. Um, Hack Slash, uh, final issue, number 25, comes out next week. We'll have a review of that one. Wayne and I are going to be reading that. So lots of stuff. I mean, it's surprisingly not as much as this week, but um, some good trades. Yeah, it's because this week was nuts. Yeah, I'm curious about this Day of Judgment. I don't remember much about the... Uh, the story but i know it was written by jeff johns it was the spectrum going out and taking specter the specter was the yeah. specter going <laughs> going out and taking out all of magic like now, all the magic in the dc universe it was trying wait, to wipe it all out i did read that was that a cross was that a thing from um infinite crisis it was uh, okay i did read that i thought it was older than that so all new x-men volume one yesterday's x-men the hardcover coming out Mm-hmm. Is fourteen bucks on Amazon hardcover, and you get the free digital code. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Kind of makes you want to wait for the digital copy. Kind of makes you want to wait for the trade. Hey, you know, I gotta tell you, I mean, I'm, it's something I'm really struggling with. I mean, I think it makes our weekly conversations a little harder. But uh, it, I gotta tell you, I'm counter incentivized to uh, uh, 
buy the the weekly uh, editions when you can get the, both the hardcover and the digital copy. How many? I'm, I'm assuming this has got what four issues in it. Um, I don't know. That's a good question because if it's four it issues, does. It does not say in the okay. description. There are still some books I only read in trade. Yeah. They're ones we generally don't talk about, like Walking Dead and uh, it's one through Guard. five. I'm sorry, Wayne. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, it's one through five. So it's you're spending twenty bucks if you're buying it digitally, right? Or yeah, on paper. Like, but yeah, yeah. three ninety nine books, and on Amazon you can pick it up for fourteen uh, twenty seven, fourteen dollars twenty seven cents. Uh, in a hardcover plus a digital copy. Yeah, man, that's. I mean, that's. Wow. Hey, Wayne, I didn't. I didn't mean to cut you off. You said you're still reading Mouse Guard. Yeah, but I only pick it up through trade. Hmm. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next trade on that one. All right, since yep. this has devolved into let's shop Amazon while we podcast, I'm going to go ahead and shut us down for the week. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the wizard has spoken. That's right. Let so, it be done. So, uh, you know, we, we lost Tim midway because, you know, frankly, he was bored with Paul, as most <laughs> of us are. Um, so some of us will be here next week. I can't guarantee that all of us – I'm looking at you, Paul – will be here next week, but uh, – Enjoy your week. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Paul, if you could stay behind Wayne and I need to have a conversation. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.